Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. I was talking to uh, Pastor Tammy before church started this morning, and uh, there's a little bit of a ministry pet peeve that I'm going to share with you this morning. I'm going to try to be transparent with you today, not that that's ever an issue for me. A little pastor secret here. Pastors usually don't tell you when they're going away because that means that Sunday is a free pass. Well, if he's not here, right, I mean, we can skip too, right? But let me say this to you, and I know you agree with me. Church is absolutely 100% not about me. You didn't come to hear from me today. And I asked the Lord during communion this morning, Lord, help me to... Help me to accurately communicate the words that you want me to say so that they remember everything I say and forget the person that said it. Because it doesn't matter. I, I, I don't matter. Now, I know I matter to God, but if we don't come to church just to hear Ed. That's the truth, and we know that, right? But we got to practice that, you know? Uh, Brian's going to have a word for us next week. On top of that, uh, we need you to come next week because we're going to have envelopes out there so you can help us send kids to camp. We raised about half of the money we need to help send our kids to camp. Ryan's got some more. He's got a couple sign-up goals he's going to hit tonight. He's going to have another sign-up goal he's going to hit next week. And we've got to get behind him in our youth ministry so we can see God do great, great things through the youth ministry of Warehouse Church. Uh, They meet on Wednesday nights. Some of our youth counselors are in the room right now. Uh, They do such a great job Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock right back here in our youth room at the end of the hallway where we usually have our dinners at. So you make sure you're here next week, support him, grab about 10 envelopes, and let's see God do great things through Warehouse Church this summer. Amen? That's a free commercial for everybody, unpaid endorsement right there, okay? Hey, I want to invite your attention. If you have a Bible, if you have an iPad, if you use your phone, look at 2 Kings with me, chapter 6. The title of my message today is called Desperate Times Call for Desperate Measures. We live in a pretty awesome part of the United States, let alone that, the world, don't we? Um, I know, I said it. Don't, don't push me, Sergio, okay? Just take a chill pill, all right? He's reminding me it's Texas. I know where I'm at today, okay? I know where I'm at. But um, this is, we live, we live in such a great country. We live in probably the greatest state in the United States of America. We live in the greatest city in the United States. I'll say that too, right? I love, I love where we live. I love, I love my church family. I love our family. We feel so, so blessed to be here. And we've been here eight years, and we, we're here. We love it here, and we plan on staying here to, until you guys kick me out of here or until I retire. That's what we're planning on doing. But... Um, we don't really have the challenge that most people in the world have. Sometimes we forget that the, the population of the United States of America is literally only 5% of the world's population. Uh, a great missions reminder of that is not only do we have only 5% of the world's population here, 90% of all the finances in the world find their way to come through the United States one way or another. We're the richest country, and the Bible says to whom much is given, what? Much is required. Now, I'm not speaking on giving today, so you could say amen to that, okay? 
Uh, Dave, that was too loud. But um, I think sometimes we really have to qualify what we call desperate times. I had a Dallas, Texas desperate moment that was first world problems our first year that we, that we lived here. Um, it was, might have been our second year because we had just bought our house. And um, I don't know what happened, <coughs> but I know it was a summer. I know it was in August. And I think a lightning, uh, something happened with lightning where one of the transformers blew out. It happened, it was in our neighborhood, Tammy, so it was right there. Um, and we lost our electricity that night. And, and it was August, and it was hot, and the air was moving about .05 miles an hour, right? And it had to be 92 degrees like at midnight. And I remember laying in bed, and I'm just miserable, right? So I, I get up, and I'm mad because there, we don't have power. So, you know, not only with no air conditioning, suffering for Jesus, right? We couldn't even watch TV to pass the time by. So we're on our cell phones, and we're worried about, oh, my gosh, we're going to run out of cell phone power here. But we can't sleep. What are we going to do? I got so miserable. Desperate times call for desperate measures, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I went out to my truck, turned it on, put the air conditioning on, put my seat back, and slept in my truck for six hours that night. Probably not the safest thing in the world to do, but we want, the, the, the phrase desperate times call for desperate measures, I'm sure is something you're familiar with. It, it, it means this, in times of desperations, we do things that we don't normally do to get out of those desperate times, right? I'm going to tell you about one of the craziest stories I've read in the Bible, this is a historically true story because everything in the Word of God is true. We believe that as a church. But this story is really, really crazy. And when you read it, like there's some things in the Bible that you read that kind of don't make sense, right? Uh, when you hear about some of the wars that they went through, when you hear about leprosy and sickness and, and, and a lot of the challenges that happen throughout the times of the Bible, you have to understand that was about you know, four to 6,000 years ago uh, that these things all in the Bible took place, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have a printing press. They didn't have the Internet. They didn't have so many things that we have today, simple, simple living, which, by the way, is the way most of the world still lives today. Uh, when you visit third world countries and you see uh, little huts of, of, that are put together with just whatever building supply you can find and, and a little bit of cement and and, and just roof coverings that are barely there with no air conditioning and no, you know, those kind. That's the way m most of the world lives. And boy, you take somebody from this area, and by the way, that was the summer that, that, that when we, that it was like 100 degrees 100 days in a row. And I just remember praying to the Lord, Lord, why did you bring us to hell? Because it was just hot. I mean, it was hot every single, and even at night it was hot too. I'm like, Lord, I'm melting. And Lord looked at my body and went, no, no, you're not. You're fine. I had plenty on there to take care of me, but um, the, des the desperation that we read about in some of the stories of the Bible are really incomprehensible. This story I'm going to read you here, I, I, can't, I can't even make sense of it a little bit. I'm going to try to. I'm going to give you, uh, try to help you understand exactly what took place in the story, and then we're going to make some application to our lives with this idea that desperate times call for desperate measures. So look at me, look with me, don't look at me, look with me. And they'll be up on the screens here too. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 24. It says, someday later, sometime later, Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. This siege means this. 
He took his whole army and surrounded the city. This was a, this was a wartime tactic back in Bible days here. And it happened many, you, you heard of this happened at Masada uh, and different, in different uh, cities that were, uh, that were conquered in, in the Bible days. But what they did was, instead of using their artillery, and they didn't have guns, they had bow and arrows, and maybe they, could, they had slings, they could chuck big stones. They didn't have explosive devices. Uh, so a lot of the combat was hand-to-hand -hand combat with swords. And when you had hand-to-hand -hand combat with swords and with spears and things like that, you always had to kind of think about in your mind the percentage of men that you were going to lose there that day. So they had this tactic, instead of sending them for hand-to-hand -hand combat, they would lay siege to the city, which means this. Nothing could go in and nothing could go out. What they were trying to do was starve them to death. They would shut down the water source that was coming into the city. They would surround the city with, with, uh, with uh, military uh, personnel so that you couldn't, they would make you stay in. If you came out, they would kill you. And they wouldn't let any supplies come in. They wouldn't let people that had farm you know, equipment in or, or food or any kind of supplies. And what would happen, now this was, you had to be a little bit patient with this because I would say normally, <clears throat> they would have probably maybe a month's worth of food inside the city. So they had the city that was totally surrounded with the military. And listen to what happened here. Because of this, in verse 25, there was a great famine. The siege lasted so long that the head of a donkey sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods, which means this literally... Dove poo, that's what these, that's what these little things were. They were, they were it, was, it was the excrement from the bird that, that's a dove, and they could use it. I don't know how they would do that. Sold for five shekels as well. As the king of Israel was on the wall, watch, looking at the, the, the army dudes out there, and, the, you know, and what they're seeing also out there, too, these guys are partying. They're drinking alcohol. They're, they're eating food. They would smell the barbecue every single night rising up. The king's on the, the wall of the city looking out, scratching his head. What are we going to do now? And the Bible tells us that a woman cried out to the king and said, Lord, help me, my lord, the king. And the king replied, if God doesn't help you, what can I do for you from here, from the wine press? And she, then he asked her, he said, what's wrong? What do you need, sis? And then she says this. A woman came to me and said, give up your son so that we may eat him today. And then tomorrow, we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so that we may eat him. But she left and she hid him away. When the king heard the woman's words, the Bible says, he tore his clothes and he went along the wall and the people looked and they saw that under his robes he had sackcloth on his body. Now sackcloth was something that you would put on to let people know an outward expression that you were in mourning. So he was wearing sackcloth because he was in mourning because of the situation that this country found themselves in. Um, this kind of stuff doesn't make sense to us. I know that there are probably people in this room that have had times in their life when they've been without where you've been poor. My wife and I certainly... Uh, we don't feel like we're victims in the ministry. Our church takes very, very good care of us, and I can't even tell you how grateful we are to the love and to the care that, that, that Warehouse Church gives to us. We had days in our lives that we had 
uh, that we had to be careful, you know, and, 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 and lived very, a very humble lifestyle. Uh, when I was a youth pastor and had four kids and we were making $24,000 a year combined income, uh, we learned how to, we were the kings of hamburger helper and Raymond Pride noodles. I mean, we, and we would love, we would love, love, love when people in our church would say, hey, you guys want to come over our house for dinner tonight? We'd be like, oh, yeah, we're there. We're there. We're going to do it, right? Because then we would have something that we're, and, and we didn't suffer. Like, even then, we didn't suffer. We just lived a little bit more humbly than we do now, you know? But when, when you hear a story like this, we scratch our head. I mean, we're talking about, in the Bible, there's a story about cannibalism. Now, it doesn't say that it's right. It just gives a historical account at the level of desperation that was happening in the city. Uh, when, a, when the head of a donkey, who would even eat a donkey, let alone the head of a donkey, the only thing you could get out of the head of a donkey, literally, would be eyes and the brain that would be any kind of matter that you could eat. Uh, when we were missionaries in the Philippines, we had some very interesting eating experiences. Um, we, would have, we would go over somebody's house for dinner, and there would be a big piece of fish on the table. And man, as soon as you prayed in Jesus' name, amen, like three or four people would like lunge toward the head of that fish because it was good luck to eat the eyes out of the fish. And they would always say to me, oh, pastor, would you like the eyes of the fish? And I said, no, dude, you can have them, man. I'm good with the rice over here. I'm solid gold, right? But that was a delicacy, right? That was part of the culture. Uh, there was something else called blood pudding. Which was blood pudding. It was, it was this like little soupy thing made with blood. Didn't like that either. Uh, I, was at a, I was at somebody's house one time. And when I would go to their house, people would really, I mean, it was a big, big deal to have a missionary over their house for supper. And it was so humbling the, the way that people would sacrifice to bless us. And I went to this one house. And we were having dinner. And I was eating it. And I said to my buddy, Roe, I said, hey, what are we eating here? He said, I'll tell you after dinner. I said, okay. I said, all right. So I, I kind of knew, right? You know, there was probably something I wasn't used to eating. It was rice and some meat and some other things. It was good. I mean, it was fine. But I kind of was like, all right, he's not telling me. So something's going on here. When I came out, he said, Pastor, I got to tell you, don't freak out, but you just ate dog. And the dog that we would eat, now this is what's interesting about where, where we were living there at the time. It wasn't like a specific uh, breed of dog. It was a dog that had black hair. That would be the only dog that would be eaten. So, so if you go to somebody's house and there's a black dog there before dinner, he's probably not there after dinner, right? But, I mean, we were at where, where we were living and ministering to, it was, a, it was a third world country, right? They did what they had to do to survive. This level of survival that we're reading about in the Bible doesn't make sense to us. They're selling dove poop, donkey brains, and they're cannibalizing their children, because their children weren't going to live anyway, so they were justifying this behavior. Desperate times, desperate measures. Let's, let's, let's continue to read the story and see what happens next in chapter 7 and verse number 5. Um, verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate, and they said to each other, why should we stay here until we die? Now, a little, little context here. If you had leprosy, you were, by law, had to be a certain amount of feet away from people. If you got within a circumference of maybe four or five feet of somebody that didn't have leprosy, you could be arrested, taken outside of the city, and stoned to death and killed for that. As a matter of fact, when you were a leper, you hung around other lepers, and you had to announce yourself walking down the street. 
Hey, there's some lepers coming down here. Be careful. We got some lepers coming down here. Just make sure you're on the right side of the street here. They had to do that or they could get in really bad trouble. So here these lepers are. They're looking at the situation in the city and they're going, what are we going to do? They're at the gate of the city because they had to be away from everybody. They look inside of the city and everybody is starving to death. This cannibalism's taking place. There's no food left. Mothers and fathers are crying. They're desperate. The king is ripping his clothes off. I mean, it is super duper desperate. They look outside. The Bible says in verse 4, if we say, let's go into the city, that's where the famine is, and we're going to die. But if we stay here, we're going to die. Desperate times, desperate measures. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we're going to live. If they kill us, then we're going to die. We're going to die anyway. Might as well get one last little shot at food before we die. So they go out. Now listen, they didn't feel any kind of responsibility to let, the, let this army outside of the city know that they were lepers. Because they're like, man, maybe we'll take a couple people down with us with leprosy. But either way, we got to get some food. We got to figure something out here. We're super duper desperate. At dusk they got up, went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, nobody was there. They walk, they're, kind of, they're walking out real careful, right? They see a fire going. They smell some food. They look at some tents. And they're like, nobody's there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of a chariots and horses and a great army so that they said to each other, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. You know what they thought? They heard a rumbling that God caused, maybe some thunder, maybe it sounded like some chariots were coming their way. So this big army just ran away. They left, every, they left all their supplies, all their food, all their stuff there. And they just, like mercury hitting the ground, they just, they just went everywhere. Then they got up, fled into the dusk, abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. Because, you, you know, those donkeys were selling pretty good with the brains there. They left the camp and it, as it was, and they ran for their lives. Look at verse number 8. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered... One of the tents, they ate and drank. Then they took silver and gold and clothes and went off and they hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from there and returned them also. These dudes hit life lottery. Right? All this food's being cooked. They go into some tents and there's stuff in there. And they're looking around and they're kind of thinking, man, there's nobody here. So they took gold ran out away from the camp, buried it up a little bit, went back in, got some more stuff, buried it out a little bit so they could have it for later. Because they, they didn't know if it was a trap. They didn't know what was happening. But they knew something extraordinary was happening in their lives. So they got food. They ate. They took stuff. And then in verse number 9, it says that they said, to each, they said this to each other, what we're doing isn't right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment's going to overtake us, right? Bad vibes. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. The country was in a time of extreme physical uh, desperation. Nobody knew what to do. The lepers made a desperate attempt to save their lives. And it paid off, right? 
They didn't know what was going on. But they went, and everybody's in the city scared. The lepers go out. They're busting a grub. They're as happy as they can be. They're getting gold, clean robes, all these different things. And they kind of, can you believe, can you, I mean, they're probably all running into different tents. I got a bag of gold from that till. I got a bag of silver. You should see this gear I got. This dude left some Armani shoes in there, man. I've got some great shoes. This guy left Jordans. This guy left this. This guy left that. And they're telling each other the story. And then it just kind of came to them and they said, we're not doing the right thing here. All of our people are starving to death, right? And the, the Bible says that let's go out. When they said let's go out and report this to the palace, we got to go tell the king. The lepers made a desperate attempt to save their lives. And here's what's beautiful. God provided a way for these lepers to be saved, right? But here's, here's kind of the conclusion of this part of the story. The men understood that they had a responsibility. They had a responsibility. Um, they had a responsibility to make sure that no more babies would get eaten. This sounds terrible, but it's true. They had a responsibility to make sure that their king could send people out systematically because they, they would have all, they're starving to death, right? I don't know if you've seen movies or read accounts of what took place at the end of the Holocaust, but when the American military came in and the Soviet military came in and they found, these, they found these Jews and other people that were being treated awfully by the, by the German soldiers in, in prison and they were being killed by the thousands and thousands every day in a horrible, horrible, inconceivable way. When the American soldiers descended upon one of the camps, they saw these, these, these bodies that were just skin and bones depleted and sunken in faces. And, and they ran out into the city and they made the Germans that lived nearby bring food out from their restaurants and homes and everything to feed these people. And the military had to make a decision because these starving people were eating too fast. Their body wasn't conditioned to, to handle them eating. They would have died from that. So they had to leave them inside the prison until they brought the Red Cross and some other people there that could help them with their health food distribution, systematic way of taking care of them, or they, all, they would have been, they were starting to trample each other, they were eating too fast, and they were really, their lives were being threatened, and they didn't, they, you can't come out yet, listen, we got you, but we're going to bring in some people here, because we got to do this, no, we got to eat, we haven't eat, we've been tortured for years and years, we got to eat right now, the desperation that was there is the desperation that we read about here, these men had the answer to that desperation, and they knew they had to do something about it. They knew they had to do something about it. So Warehouse Church, I want us to understand today that we live in a time of spiritual desperation. There are things that people that are maybe a generation, I'm going to say two generations, and I'm being very kind to myself in saying so, but a generation before me sees what's happening in our country today. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. The, the level of immorality that's accepted. And, and we have, as a people, as a country, as a church, as a world, we have been desensitized towards things that we weren't even allowed to talk about when we were kids. What our students have to endure today what they hear in school, what they say, and I'm not, listen, I'm not anti-public school, so don't get, 
Don't get all weird on me here, okay? But, but what I'm telling you is this. They hear things at their age, and I know this factual true about my life, that I didn't even understand until I was 18 to 20 years old. And I didn't have a sheltered life. I didn't have a sheltered life. My father was unsaved. My mom was saved. My mom took me to church. My dad helped me have fun. I mean, that's just the way. You know, my dad introduced me to alcohol when I was 12 years old. Or uh, actually, I was 14 years old when the Philadelphia Phillies won the World Series. That's a reason to drink, I guess. But my dad said, here, you can have some too because you don't know when this is ever going to happen again. So we, we polished off a big ba bottle of champagne, had to go to school the next day because my father wanted me to live a day of a hangover so that I wouldn't become an alcoholic. It worked for me, right? But I hear, man, what our kids have to deal with today, it's heartbreaking. The stuff that we hear... The stuff that, that, that's being talked about and voted on, especially with, when, when it comes to the, the sexual culture stuff, the transgender stuff, uh, uh, strippers teaching kids stuff. And, that's, and, and we get, you know, the far left likes to say, those are just extreme. That's, it's happening. And it's, and it's harder and harder and harder. I don't even like, you know, during, it was right at the election, the last election, and COVID, and the weird stuff that was happening in our country with the racial stuff that was kind of out of balance. We stopped watching the news. Like, I just, and I'm not telling you to watch the news is wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll cut it on about once a week. I'd rather read it so I can select what I'm reading instead of listening to somebody else's opinions. Because whether you're on the right side or whether you're on the left side or whatever side you say you're on, news today is not Walter Conkright telling the facts. News today is, is opinion. You just got to find the right opinion to match how you feel, and that's how people watch the news today. But here's the fact. Satan is having a field day in the world today, and the church has been silent. We've been silent. We have felt this pressure to be silenced because if we, we're told, this is what's told to us in culture today, if we disagree with a lifestyle, if we disagree with a decision that people are making, then that's hate speech. That's what we're told. So we're like, can I say, I, I mean, I ask my kids all the time, and they kind of make fun of me. Uh, Dad, you, Dad, you can't say stuff like that. You can't, and I would say stuff like, wow, you should have heard what my dad used to say. You know, I mean, trying to, trying to you know, bring levity to the situation. No, you can't say that. That's not politically correct. This people group, that people group. I'm like, man, how do you keep track of everything, right? What do you do is you just be silent. And that's what's happened in our world today. Because we don't know how to talk to people we disagree with without having hateful words in our speech. And it is a dilemma, church. Because we do have a So, we have a responsibility. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right? We have a responsibility to find and follow people to become devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's one of our purpose statements. Lead others to become devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Our vision for the church is to build lives, strengthen families, and deliver hope. We want to be the message of hope to our community and to the world because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what winds up happening is all this political stuff and these lifestyle choices. We, you know what we're doing? We're getting offended at people instead of being offended by the one who's leading those people, and that's Satan. And then we get up on our high horses. 
we're better. I don't do that, so I'm a better person. And we've become really, really good at creating this sin scale, right? Well, and, and I guess it's like a point system with sin. If you lie a little bit, if your wife tells you, hey, do you like my dress? Do you say yes, even though you don't like it? It's a little lie. That's like a one-point sin. That's not that big of a deal. But if you commit adultery, that's like a 99-point sin. If you commit murder, that's a 200-point sin. If you live a lifestyle that you disagreed with, and remember, I'm not going to talk about that yet. That's a 250-point thing, right? If you cheat on, if you do this, if you do this, all this. So what we do is we take our Christian sins that are all okay, that we justify. Oh, it's not, it's not that big of a deal to miss church. It's not that big of a deal uh, to lie a little bit. It's not that big of a deal if I don't tithe, my money's not right now. Things that God told us that we're supposed to do, we justify our bad behavior by looking at the behavior that other people live that's really, really bad. Well, I don't do that. Right? Again, I, I say this first probably more than I should. They that compare themselves amongst themselves, even though they're trying to make themselves look wise, the Bible says we look like fools. Well, I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as... Isn't it easier? Isn't it easier to look at other people's lives and tell them how to fix stuff than it is to look in the mirror and fix your own junk? Um... I'm learning something as I'm getting older. Um, people ask me advice more than they used to. I don't know if it's the gray hair. I had a moment yesterday. I had a backhanded compliment yesterday. Bap. My wife and I went to Hutchins Barbecue. Good golly, Miss Molly. That's good food right there. I'm just telling you. Unbelievable. I'm standing in line. We're getting our food. Go up to the counter. And the girl at the counter... Couldn't have been any more than your age. 25, are you 25? 23, okay. That wasn't embarrassing. 23, you know. You're 23 years old. I, you know what just came up my Facebook this week? Your graduation party at my house. Came up my Facebook memories this week. That was a sweet day. She couldn't have been more than your age. I'll say she's 23 just because you're 23. And I get to the counter and she says, sir, that is a really, really cool shirt you have on. I really, I just had a Nike golf shirt. I'm like, yeah, boy, you know, little young gal giving me some love right there. I'll take some of that. And she said, can you talk to my grandfather for me? <laughs> I want him to wear cool shirts like that to look like you instead of the stupid-looking Hawaiian shirts that he wears all the time. And I went, you're 23, so in order for me to be your grandfather, I would need to be... You're a jerk. You know, I didn't say that to her. But that was one of those, you look good, but you're really, really old, you know, conversations, right? But I am realizing that the age that I'm at now, I'm, people seem to come to me for advice a little bit more. And can I tell you what, my, and Ryan, you know this too, because Ryan got to spend some extra time with me this week, which was such a blessing for him. Most of the advice, most of the advice that I give is based on mistakes that I've made, and I don't want you to make them too. I promise you it's not from a platform of perfection. It is years and years and years of scars and bruises and bumps and bad mistakes. And I don't want you to do that because I, I live that, you know, or I help somebody that lived through that too, and it's a yucky thing. You don't want to do that. But church, we live in a time of spiritual desperation. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a consequence to our sin. If you know the Romans road, you know this verse. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? So whether you create, whether you're committing sin on the high end of the Christian sin scale, or you're doing all the little things that don't really matter, like a little bit of lying, a little bit of cheating, a little bit of speeding, a little bit of skipping church and not taking, a little bit of cussing, a little bit of this, a little bit of all those little tiny things. I can do a lot of those things instead of that big giant thing right there. It's these things here that Jesus died for. Because what we receive because of that sin, the Bible says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We live in a time of spiritual desperation. Number two, God provided a way for you and I to be saved. Just like he did for the people in our city. Just like he did for the people in our world. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' very statement for the reason he came to this earth is in Luke chapter 17 and verse number 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But here's the thing that we've got to grab onto this morning, church. The last point. We have to understand our responsibility to share good news. It's not something that God suggests to us. It's not something that, listen, he has trusted you. At the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, the moment that you got saved, you went from darkness to light. You went from eternal damnation to a relationship with Jesus Christ where you are forever gonna be with the Lord. We have the privilege, not the right because we're Americans, not the right because we're Anglo-Saxon Protestants, not the right because we live in the Bible Belt, not the right because we have a moral standard of living. We have the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. He trusted you when you trusted him with the only news that's going to change people's lives with forever. Have you been trustworthy with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are you like one of those lepers that took all that good news and buried it outside of the town so nobody else could have it? I said this before to you, that pastors preach their personal prisons. I've been really challenged in the past couple weeks about inviting people to church, practicing what I preach, making sure that I'm intentional, looking for opportunities to find somebody. Not just staying outside in my front yard. I hope somebody walks by and sees my church sign and asks me where I go to church so I can invite them to go to my church. No, engaging in our community to have conversations that are strategic so I can invite them to come to church so they can hear about Christ. God trusted me with that message. Church, God trusted Warehouse Church. We had the humblest of humble beginnings as a church. When we planted our church out of our mother church, it was tumultuous. It was tough. There were some things that went in our past that we had to overcome and deal with. And, and there were mistakes that were made because people make mistakes because churches are filled with people, right? And, and we overcame all that stuff. And we're here not to enjoy this air conditioning that's working moderately well this morning. I'm a little sweaty today. Not so that we could come here and get big hugs from everybody. I love coming to church on Sunday. 
I love the, the, the mutual admiration society we have. I love looking forward to seeing people. I love the hugs that I get. I love the, hey, pastor, how you doing? I love seeing my buddy Jeff this week who had some really, really good news from the doctor with some things we were praying about. I love seeing his sweet wife, Gail, who I still can't believe married him and got a cool-looking haircut, ready, fresh summer cut, ready to go. I mean, just, I mean, I just look out and I see your faces. I want to make sure I say hi to everybody. I try to every Sunday. I don't get to. But I love you. I love our church family. But God didn't bring us here just to be lovey, lovey, lovey with one another. He brought us here together to accomplish something. Because we live in desperate times, we have to start taking desperate measures. Whether you believe it or understand it or not, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And if that's not something you comprehend, I know that you understand this, especially if you're my age or older, time is very short. And we've got to redeem it. And redeeming the time means we can't waste time. Listen, I'm not saying don't take vacation this summer. Take a I'm taking vacation this summer. I can't wait to go on vacation with my I'm looking forward to my vacation with my kids. I can't wait to go on vacation with my wife without my kids. Can't, that's the, Adriano, come on, give me some love on that. Cannot wait for that. I want you to have that too. But let's not forget what we have to do here. And in Plano. And for me on Santana Lane. And up at the Carpenter Workout Center where I go two to four times a week. Right? We, we have responsibility because we have this great, great news that can literally change somebody's life forever. What are we going to do with it? Let's make the summer count. This summer lull stuff, that's baloney. We're not going to shut it down because it's summer. There's no, listen, we can come and have ball and air conditioning if your house doesn't have. You come here, great coffee, great, no, no. You come here because we're going to be challenged and changed to do more for Jesus Christ. Desperate times, desperate measures. What measures are you willing to take this summer to, be, to give an answer of the, reason, of the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear? I, boy, wouldn't it be great if we saw more kids saved and baptized this summer from camp and their parents came to church because of your investment in our teenagers from camp and your friends come to, and, and we take that black curtain down there and next time we do baptism, we think we're pretty sure that the stage is strong enough to hold it. But be here just to witness it, just in case, because we may need, you know. <laughs> we're hoping it's strong enough. We're pretty sure it's strong enough. Big thing of water, just depends on the big one that's getting baptized that day. I don't know, we're gonna do it right up here. We got a real cool thing we're gonna do for, but you know what? I'm hoping, I'm hoping that for our church, that that's just something we have to leave up every single week. But we gotta reach people. We can't wait for them to come, we gotta go get them. We can't just send out mailers and hoping they'll get them and look us up in the internet and we're the closest church to their house. No, we got to ask them to come. We have to make desperate attempts to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you do that this summer with me?